So Money episode 1117, Annalise Wealth, author of Dream of Legacy, Raising Strong and Financially Secure Black Kids. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Against all odds, black people were able to build incredible wealth. And that was in the early 1900s. And they already showed us the way. We just have to tap into the greatness that is within us so that no matter the oppression, that we deal with, we can overcome and strive. Welcome to So Money, everybody. November 4th, 2020, the day after Election Day, recording this on November 3rd. No idea how the evening will turn out. Just hoping for a smooth evening and that democracy prevails. Regardless, I think you'll enjoy today's guest. Annalise Wealth is the author of Dream of Legacy, Raising Strong and Financially Secure Black Kids, which she just released this fall. Annalise began her career as a financial auditor at Ernst & Young before embarking on her journey to increase financial literacy in the black community. She's also a certified public accountant and personal finance coach, and she's the founder of the personal development and financial platform, dreamoflegacy.com. She grew up in Cameroon in France and moved to the States at 18. She's also a mom of three girls, including twins, and is passionate about closing the racial wealth gap. In her book, Dream of Legacy, she shares tools to overcome intergenerational trauma affecting the Black community and develop the mindset conducive to building generational wealth. Here's Annelise Wealth. And Lise Wealth, welcome to So Money. I have somebody whose last name is Wealth on the show. How on brand is this? Hi, Farnoosh. Thanks for having me. Um, wealth is actually not my last name. It's, uh, it's just to represent the wealth in my heritage. Yes, which I can't wait to dive into. First, let's start with what's very new in your world, which is your book. Your book uh, just came out. It's called Dream of Legacy, Raising Strong and Financially Secure Black Kids. I was reading on your blog that this book was born out of a almost like a sense of urgency for you. And of course, it being the year 2020, it feels like so much is at stake, right? Why now? And uh, Why did you think that this was the most important time to share your wisdom? So actually, I started writing my book at the end of last year. And uh, last year, my, my life changed drastically. In March of 2019, my uh, sister was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, she, was, she had been healthy up until that point. But seven months later, she passed away. And um, during those seven months, I really took a closer look at my life and I decided that I could no longer afford to delay what I wanted to do. So um, that's how I started thinking about, or actually writing the book. And at the time I was anxious about how it was going to be received. But then this past year, the world got a glimpse at the systemic issues that most minorities, especially black people deal with. 
and it reinforced the need for such a book. So um, mm. the timing wasn't really planned, but I think that when you walk in your purpose, things kind of fall into place. Yeah. A friend of mine said over uh, lunch the other day, she said, when you know what your why is, when that's strong, the how will figure itself out. The how is the easy part once you have identified the why. And I'm so sorry to hear about your sister. I can't imagine working through that grief, but perhaps it was what you needed to go to that place where you needed to go to be open and vulnerable and direct in your book. Yeah, thank you, Farnoosh. And uh, yeah, I think writing definitely helped me get through the grief, even though I won't say that I'm through it, but it definitely helped me process it. And, uh, you know, it really got me to think about my legacy and what I wanted to leave behind. You mentioned earlier, you know, these systemic issues, which we have touched upon on this podcast, issues that uh, impact people of color that prevent them to be able to as easily achieve wealth in this country as, say, somebody who doesn't have some of the racial challenges, the racism. What do you think are some of the biggest issues? And and, um, do you have any personal experience with this? Some of the biggest issues, I think uh, it really touches different aspects of life. Um, from I, I definitely have more than one experiences. And it's, it's kind of like when you grow up black, you automatically understand that there are some establishments or some neighborhoods or places that you're not welcome. So it starts there and it limits kind of like your mindset of what you can what you can aspire to. And as far as like, I think it, it, you can see it in real estate with discriminat- discriminatory practices. You can see it in credit card. Uh, also, black people or minorities are often targeted uh, for higher rates. Uh, you can see it in school, teacher mm-hmm. treatment. It, it's really all around. Right. I think you're right about the limit, the limiting beliefs that that can happen as a result of just seeing not as much of a success model presented to you as far as other black individuals achieving the same level of success as white people uh, and with as much access and ease. Your first chapter in the book talks not so much about money, but the importance of having black families teach their children, to your point, the legacy of not just their family, but their race and all the incredible accomplishments. And so what is it really that you're trying to encourage through that chapter? Is it that you want the children to inherit that sense of pride, which can then show up in other ways, uh, in their decision-making, in their confidence, in their ability to think like, I can achieve financial greatness. What is the the outcome that you're hoping through that exercise of learning about your history, learning about these accomplishments of, of Black people throughout the, the years, and really at the end of the day, you know, understanding more about your DNA? I think uh, you you grasped what, what I'm trying to do here. I think being black, you know, you grow up in society and society tells you that you are less than because of your skin color. And Mm -hmm. I believe that before society gets to our children, we should teach them about the exceptional black men and women in history that are usually not talked about in school. We should teach them about the amazing things that 
Black people have accomplished throughout history in spite of oppression. So they can understand that they should love the skin that they're in before the word actually teaches them that, you know, being black is a handicap. A quote that I, I really love is from Maya Angelou when it says, your crown has been bought and paid for, put it on your head and wear it. That's, that's the message that I'm trying to convey here. I wanted to uh, help our children understand that our ancestors already showed us the way. When you look at the history of places like Black Wall Street or Auburn Avenue, against all odds, Black people were able to build incredible wealth. And that was in the early 1900s. And they already showed us the way. We just have to tap into the greatness that is within us so that no matter the oppression that we deal with, we can overcome and strive. Some of this requires uh, a reframing of history, right? Because I I almost feel that I got a very one-sided education. And for example, I just watched the documentary 13th by Ava DuVernay. Um, And for me, I, I, I loved watching that because it was so informative and I felt so much more empowered after watching that, but I was also angry. I was like, why didn't anyone talk to me about the history, the more modern history of, of black people in this country in this way, how the system has really impacted their ability to reach certain levels and, you know, why, why the prison population is what it is, why the crime rate is what it is, why. So it is requiring of us to find other sources maybe of the facts. And so what do you think people should be reading and watching and and listening to for more of a global explanation and more accurate, arguably explanation of how uh, black people impacted our society and culture and economy and how, you know, the exemplary examples. So to be honest, Uh, When I, growing up, I didn't know about most of the things that I talk about in my book. So it's really just me, as I got older, wanting to know more about history. And uh, there's books like General um, Africa that will basically teach you the history of Africa from an African perspective. There are, I mean, my book is a great start. I talk about historical black figures from Africa to the United States. And uh, I think, like you said, you're not going to get that from school. So parents or people who are interested in learning more, just they will just have to go and do their own research. Mm-hmm. You uh, talk about how you had a more or less exceptional upbringing in the sense that you did get some decent education around money growing up. Your parents were great role models. Tell us about your upbringing. Take us to a moment from childhood that you remember learning about money. So interestingly enough, I learned a lot from my parents about money growing up, but we had very few actual conversations. And I think it's very common in most Black households but the, the few conversations that we had left a lasting impact. And one of them, I think I was probably around 10 or 11. And my mother told me, no matter, that's when I started having allowance, my allowance. And she told me, no matter what you have going on, you need to 
save at least 20%. And that number kind of stuck with me. So at 13, when my parents started just transferring my allowance to my bank account, I knew that <laughs> I needed to have at least 20% set aside. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's quite interesting, right? Because later on in life, I found out that 20% is the number that most 401k and IRA millionaires put towards mm-hmm. retirement. Yes. What else was your childhood like? Where did you grow up? What was your first job? Did you always think you wanted to go towards the financial industry? You're a licensed CPA, you're a personal finance coach. So I am originally from Cameroon, which is in uh, Central Africa. Uh, My parents moved there to go to school. I was uh, born, uh, actually, sorry, my parents moved to France to go to school. I was born in France and uh, I spent most of my childhood between Paris and Cameroon. I moved to the U.S. at 18 to go to college. And uh, so throughout the different places that I've been, I kind of noticed similarities in terms of the challenges that we face as Black people to build wealth. Uh, My first job, my first official job was at 16 years old. I worked as a cashier at a grocery store in Paris. So that was my, my uh, my first job. I did that over the summer. I actually was not supposed to be in, in finance. I moved mm-hmm. to the U.S. to study pharmacy. <laughs> so I started, I started college. I was a pre-pharmacy major. And then I kind of stumbled upon an accounting course that I took as, a, as, a, as an elective. And I realized that I really didn't like pharmacy that much. <laughs> so um, I, I, I told my parents, okay, I know I'm here to kind of study pharmacy, but I have other plans. And I put together this analysis because I was blessed to have my parents uh, pay for my college. So mm-hmm. I put together this analysis to send to my parents, showing them, all right, if I go to pharmacy school, this is how much it's going to cost you. But if I do accounting, it will be much cheaper. So I think you should uh, get on board with this program. But, you know, they didn't understand why I would kind of, my dad is a pharmacist. So they didn't understand why I would walk away from basically a guaranteed job, taking over Purity, my father's pharmacy right. and having a, a successful business and just kind of like venture out on my own and not really <laughs> knowing what was going to happen next. So it was uh it was hard to get them on board, but I, I think that that's actually when I became an adult because I had to tell them, I, I totally understand if you don't support this, but I will figure out a way to do it. And uh, mm-hmm. luckily, my parents kind of came around and supported. It's a common story of the immigrant <laughs> parents, their children you know, not following in what they consider to be the the model of success. I had a guest on the show, Hans Boating, who's the investing tutor. I don't know if your paths have crossed. He's also from, well, he's from uh, from Ghana. Uh, now he lives in the states, but he pursued pharmacy, pharmaceutical uh, school, pharmacy school, I guess, and he actually finished, but then was enamored by the world of investing. And so just kind of left that and and has been since just being a, a teacher and an investor, uh, teaching people how to invest. So yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely a common story uh, in Cameroon. You know, it's like either you're a doctor, 
you're a lawyer, maybe a pharmacist. I'm Middle Eastern and it's the same thing. You can, you can either be a lawyer, a doctor, you know, an engineer, a professor, you know, easy things that parents can translate to their friends. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's like, uh, you know, my child is successful. To this day, my parents can't really explain what I do, uh, but that's okay. Yeah. My dad still thinks I, I work in insurance. <laughs> well, speaking of insurance, this is a very specific uh, question, but you know, I was, I'm talking to many people this summer about black wealth and how more people of color can achieve wealth. And one of our guests, uh, who is the founder of a company called Of Color, he said that one of the areas in finance, in, in, in financial planning that is really lacking within the black community is insurance life insurance. And your book is called Dream of Legacy. Well, how can you leave a legacy if you don't have insurance? (laughs) Um, And yet this is something that for whatever reason um, is not marketed to black communities or people, there's a lack of education around it, or they think that it's not accessible to them. What are some other perhaps uh, financial tools that you think black families um, need and perhaps are underserved in, in that regard? So uh definitely life insurance I think it's it's a it's a often associated with being wealthy in the black community but aside from that I would say just overall access to personal finance knowledge you know there's like a gap between uh home for home ownership between white families and black family which is also almost 2 to 1 and I think some has to do with resources, but I think a lot of times it's just not having enough information to understand that it's something that you can also have access to. What for you has been some of the smartest money decisions you've made in your personal life? Your so money moments, as we we call them on the show. <laughs> so um, when I was in college, my... Uh, professor, I think I was 20 at the time. And he told us, you should go ahead and open a brokerage account. And I actually took him up on his offer. And I did that when I was uh, 20. And that's when I started kind of like learning about the stock market. Um, At the time, I actually spent a lot of time day trading. Not that I would recommend that to anybody. But um, I think just starting early was probably one of the best decisions I made. And what are you teaching? You said you have a six-year-old and is that your own? You have multiple children though, right? You have- uh, Yes, I have a six-year-old and I have four-year-old twins. They're all girls. Oh my gosh. So maybe they're a little too young to be getting financial education, but are there things that you're conscious of as they get older that you want to make sure that they either learn or that you model for them? Yes, absolutely. So my four-year-old, we are- Slowly going to get them to start having responsibilities around the house. But my my six-year-old, for at least a good year or so, she's had, so she has her responsibilities and she calls it a job. And so there's five days she has to work Monday through Friday if she wants to get all of her money. If she misses a day of work, then she misses a day of pay. And uh, she has opportunities to earn extra money. And uh, what we do with her is we have 
three different jars, like a saving, donating, and then a spend jar. And we've told her kind of like how much she should save every quote unquote paycheck that she gets. And um, once a quarter, we take her to the bank. She kind of looks at her statement from to see how much interest she earned while she was gone. And then she deposits her money every three months. And uh, doing that has really helped because, you know, a lot of kids, when you go to a store with them, they just want you to buy everything. But now mm-hmm. that she has her own money, it's, it, it made it a lot easier for us because now when she says she wants something, my answer is usually, well, do you want to spend your money? And sometimes she <laughs> just decides that she doesn't need it, need it anymore. And uh, really, we barely buy toys now. We buy toys maybe for Christmas and uh, her birthday. And then the rest of the times, if there's something that she needs, a toy that she wants, she'll spend her own money to get it. That's great. Yeah, we rarely buy toys in the middle of the year outside of holidays. If we if we do get them something material, it's usually books. But now I got the library card. So we're going to be doing that a lot more because books really add up. Um, this, uh, this is a funny story. So my son is six and yesterday he, on his own, without permission, purchased on the Apple TV a movie. <laughs> and he was so proud that he was able to do this on his own. And so I said, all right, that's coming out of your college fund. And he looked at me like he was so scared. He was like, I can't believe this, mom. <laughs> he really wants to go to college. We talk about it a lot. And so he actually said, well, knows what a college fund is. Yeah. I was like, well, you can earn it back, but this is this is trade-offs, right? You you spend on something, it means you're not going to get something else. But uh, it's crazy. Yeah, they they do pick up. But I really love what you said in the beginning about how it's less what you say and what you model. And that and that's how you learned it. And I think that's how I learned it too. Although in our culture, money is a very fluent language. We talk about money a lot. But if I, if I had to recall how I learned about money, really, it was those experiences of my mom, for example, taking me to the department store to pay off her store credit card and explaining to me what what she was doing, you know, learning the concept of layaway. I remember because my mom and I in the 80s, you take your daughter shopping. That's what you do. That's what we did, which now, you know, we're doing much more, hopefully, um, interesting things with our daughters. But that's, you know, I learned a lot about money through through shopping trips with my mom and her kind of involving me in the bargain hunting and in the sales and in the returns and in the payments. So that, yeah, that was one aspect of my learning that I won't forget. Your book is called Dream of Legacy. Why did you decide to call it that? When I was in my early 20s, uh, I kind of wanted to write the book that I wish I had in my early 20s. I wanted to write a book that my daughters could read when they got older. And um, a book, uh, I wanted it to be a, a book that gave tools to help parents or anybody that's interested in building a legacy on their journey. So uh, then when I started reading the book, I realized that a lot of the money lessons in my book, I actually learned from watching my parents. And uh, essentially, I was also carrying their legacy. So um, I see really this book as a tool for parents 
to help them on their legacy building journey and uh, something that can be passed down from generation to generation. And that's really kind of like how the name came about. Well, Annelise Wealth, thank you so much for joining us. Congratulations. And this book is self-published, which I have to give you so much credit for to be able to do that on your own with with the size of your family that you have, the workload that you have. I encourage everybody to pick this up. And I think even for, you know, families that aren't Black, I think there's so much in this book to learn from. We all want to instill values in our children, financial values. And uh, I love, uh, I love amplifying. Uh, people who who dedicate their lives to this. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Farnoosh. I do have one question for you. Uh, I'm curious to know because when I when I reached out to you about the book, that I mean, essentially, you could have not responded because of the title of the book. But what made you connect, and what made mm-hmm. you get on board from the beginning? Well, so many reasons. One, I just love to help authors who are, are in this personal finance space. As a per, as an author myself, I know how hard it is and I know that it's important to connect with people who have platforms to get the word out so people even know that you wrote the book in the first place. But I believe we first connected over the summer, right? Yeah. When everything was going on with... Um, the Black Lives Matter movement. I was in the throes of the Black Wealth Matter series. And I think that we connected just as that series was ending. And I wish I had met you earlier. I would have tried to include you in that month-long series. But I'm dedicated to continuing that conversation throughout the months and years to come. So it was important to me. I was very, very, I guess happy to know that uh, people of color were finding me, you know, and wanting to share their stories with me. And I wanted to give them a stage. So that was definitely in my mind as well. I wanted to make sure that I was doing what I can to help amplify voices in this community, especially around the topic of children and money, which as for me, again, is very personal. So, I mean, we very many reasons, Annelise. I mean, pick your reason. It's There were a lot of them. Um, and I'm so glad we finally got to make this happen. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for using your platform. And um, thank you for highlighting all of the systemic issues and understanding that it's not really just a black problem. It's a problem that we all have to kind of try to solve together. Well, you know, it's interesting. The problem is not, should not be yours to fix, right? Like this is what I'm also learning is that there are so many ways to frame this, right? And language is really important. That's what I'm learning. And so it's important that we identify the culprits more clearly, right? And more boldly to say things like, Racism is the problem, right? Not necessarily black wealth gap. The black wealth gap is a result of the big problem, which is, you know, racism and racist oppression and racist systems. And and so that for me was also a learning because I think we get caught up in certain ways of saying things. And it's important to really identify what are the problems and so that we don't continuously put black people as in the sort of the victim role, role right? Because I don't think you would call yourself a victim. Definitely not. No. <laughs> and so, yeah, this is, this is, again, I'm, I'm constantly learning and I find myself stumbling over myself as sometimes hosting these particular episodes as I'm not an, a race expert, race relations expert, but Uh, I thank you for coming on the show and helping me learn and our audience learn. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. 
Thanks so much to Annalise Wealth for joining us. Her book again is called Dream of Legacy, Raising Strong and Financially Secure Black Kids. Stay tuned for Friday's episode where we will be reflecting on the election results. I have a guest co-host with me, Greg McBride of Bankrate. We're going to be talking about what the election results, if we know them, may mean for the economy, our bank accounts, our financial independence. So if you have a question for our Friday episode, be sure to send it in today is the deadline. Go to Instagram at Farnoosh Tarabi and direct message me there or go to somoneypodcast.com. Click on Ask Farnoosh and drop in your question. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. See you back here on Friday. And I hope your day is so money. <laughs>